Welcome to another edition of Return to the Word Radio with Bible teacher Mark Fontecchio. Advancing the message of God's amazing grace through the teaching of God's Word. And now with today's message, here is our teacher. Good to be back with you. Today we find ourselves in the fourth chapter of the book of Daniel. I invite you to turn there. We have a good study before us, so let's get right to our text. Daniel 4, we begin again with verse 1. Nebuchadnezzar the king, to all peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied to you. I thought it good to declare the signs and wonders that the Most High God has worked for me. How great are his signs and how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and his dominion is from generation to generation. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at rest in my house and flourishing in my palace. I saw a dream which made me afraid, and the thoughts on my bed and the visions of my head troubled me. Therefore I issued a decree to bring in all the wise men of Babylon before me, that they might make known to me the interpretation of the dream. Then the magicians, the astrologers, the Chaldeans, And the soothsayers came in, and I told them the dream, but they did not make known to me its interpretation. But at last, Daniel came before me. His name is Belshazzar, according to the name of my God. In him is the spirit of the holy God. And I told the dream before him, saying, Belshazzar, chief of the magicians, because I know that the spirit of the holy God is in you, and no secret troubles you. Explain to me the visions of my dream that I have seen and its interpretation. These were the visions of my head while on my bed. I was looking, and behold, a tree in the midst of the earth, and its height was great. The tree grew and became strong. Its height reached to the heavens, and it could be seen to the ends of all the earth. Its leaves were lovely, its fruit abundant, and in it was food for all. The beasts of the field found shade under it. The birds of the heavens dwelt in its branches, and all flesh was fed from it. I saw in the visions of my head while on my bed, and there was a watcher, a holy one, coming down from heaven. He cried aloud and said thus, Chop down the tree and cut off its branches. Strip off its leaves and scatter its fruit. Let the beasts get out from under it, and the birds from its branches. Nevertheless, leave the stump and roots in the earth, bound with a band of iron and bronze, in the tender grass of the field. Let it be wet with the dew of heaven, and let him graze with the beasts on the grass of the earth. Let his heart be changed from that of a man. Let him be given the heart of a beast, and let seven times pass over him. This decision is by the decree of the watchers, and the sentence by the word of the holy ones, in order that the living may know that the Most High rules in the kingdom of men, and gives it to whomever he will, and sets over it the lowest of men. This dream I, King Nebuchadnezzar, have seen. Now you, Belshazzar, declare its interpretation, since all the wise men of my kingdom are not able to make known to me the interpretation. But you are able, for the spirit of the holy God is in you. The story has been told of a lion who was very proud, and he decided to take a walk one day to demonstrate his mastery over all the other creatures. Well, he started his way through the forest until he came across a bear, and he asked the bear, Who is the king of the jungle? 
The bear answered, Why, of course you are, mighty lion. He went on until he found the tiger and asked, Who is the king of the jungle? Again came the answer, You are, great lion. Next the lion found the elephant. He asked the elephant who the king of the jungle was. But the elephant immediately grabbed the lion with his trunk, spun him around a few times, and slammed him to the ground. Then he stepped on him a few times, picked him up, dunked him in the water, and threw him up against a tree. The lion staggered to his feet, bloody and bruised. He looked up at the elephant and said, Look, just because you don't know the answer, there's no reason to be so upset. You know, the problem with pride is that it blinds a person to the truth, that they're filled with it. The message of Nebuchadnezzar's pride is found in the difference between dogs and cats. The master pets a dog and the dog wags his tail and thinks he must be a god. But the master pets a cat, the cat purrs, shuts its eyes and thinks to itself, I must be a god. You know, there's no doubt that Nebuchadnezzar was a great man in his youth. He commanded his father's armies to destroy the Assyrian Empire, which was the major world power at the time. He'd also beaten the Egyptians, which even the Assyrians had failed to do. He became the ruler of the greatest empire of his day. He had the power of life and death over his citizens. He had great wealth. He truly had it all. And to cap it all off, he had a dream from God, which showed him as the head of gold of a vast statue representing world empires. God had given him great dominion, and so it's pretty easy to see how this man got puffed up with pride. But what I love about the words of chapter 4 is that what I believe we have is a testimony of a man who had a direct encounter with the living God. The same guy who threw Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego into the fiery furnace in chapter 3 writes this, This is the same man who, even after seeing God's power, decreed that anyone who spoke against the God of heaven would be cut up into tiny pieces and their house destroyed. What we're looking at is the testimony of a man who had come to understand his life and his position as king were all subject to the sovereign will of God. Skip down to verse 37. Let's see what Nebuchadnezzar had learned. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven all of whose works are truth and his ways, justice. Here it comes. Notice the next statement. And those who walk in pride, he is able to put down. It took Nebuchadnezzar years to figure it out, but eventually he got there. And in this study, we'll look at the first part of his testimony. As we dig into chapter 4 and look at this testimony, recognize that a lot of time has gone by. King Nebuchadnezzar reigned for a total of 43 years. Now, there's a little bit of guesswork, but chapter 4 starts out probably somewhere around the 30 to 35th year of his reign as king, meaning somewhere around 25 to 30 years have gone by since the events of chapter 3. This is taking place 25 to 30 years after Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were delivered from the fiery furnace. This also means Daniel has gotten older. By our standards today, when Daniel was taken into captivity, he was just a young boy. But now, by this point in time, Daniel would have been around 45 to 50 years old. Every bit of evidence we have suggests that all throughout the years, Daniel continued to remain faithful to God and was also a faithful servant to King Nebuchadnezzar. But with all this time going by, what did this really mean for Nebuchadnezzar? Well, it means that God had allowed the king plenty of time to turn to him and trust in him as the one true God. 
During this time, God had been patient with Nebuchadnezzar, but now Nebuchadnezzar, to some extent, was praising the God of the Jews. Take another look at the first three verses. Nebuchadnezzar the king, to all peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth. Peace be multiplied to you. I thought it good to declare the signs and wonders that the Most High God has worked for me. How great are his signs, and how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and his dominion is from generation to generation. The way that Daniel recorded this, it's written in first person from the vantage point of the king. These are the words of Nebuchadnezzar, that he must have circulated to the people in his empire. This is his testimony, and the Spirit of God must have inspired Daniel to include Nebuchadnezzar's words of testimony in the written word of God. Notice the words of praise, and notice the wording, to all peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth. This was an official declaration to the people living throughout this empire, including all the languages that were spoken. We know from the historical records of the day that Nebuchadnezzar did consider himself to be the leader of the entire earth and not just the Babylonian Empire, which might be a factor here of why this was written to the people of the whole earth. Now, 2,600 years later, peace is still a common greeting in that part of the world. And the sudden turnaround in verse 2 still amazes me. The king was declaring to the people all the great things that the Most High God, the Jewish God, that demanded exclusive worship to him and him alone, the great things that Yahweh had done, not the false gods of Babylon. Listen to the actual wording of verse 2, where our English Bibles read, I thought it good to declare. The wording in the original reads, It was beautiful before me. Most Christians today still get nervous sharing the message of Christ, even when it's one-on-one with another person. Nebuchadnezzar was broadcasting his testimony of his encounter with God to most of the known world. There were a couple of different things going on at this point. We're about to see that God allowed Nebuchadnezzar to mentally check out for a period of seven years just to get his attention. On the one hand, he might have had the need to explain where he was for seven years. But do not dismiss the real possibility that if he did get saved, that he wanted to share his testimony of his belief in the living God of Israel. Now, Nebuchadnezzar declared, how great are his signs and how mighty are his wonders. The king was declaring the power of God. It's interesting to me that he declares that God's kingdom is everlasting. Nebuchadnezzar was getting older. At this point, he finally realized his own kingdom would not last forever. By the time Nebuchadnezzar wrote this declaration, his kingdom had been taken away from him for a time. Pride was replaced with humility as he finally realized Yahweh removes kings and grants them their authority. The only kingdom that will last forever is God's kingdom. Then he states here that God's dominion, his power, dominion literally means supreme authority. His control is from generation to generation. King Nebuchadnezzar is stating here that God's powerful sovereign reign of mankind, it rules over every generation of mankind. You know, I think we take for granted what Nebuchadnezzar was saying in this verse because the governments of our world, they're always changing. Even in the United States, laws change, standards change. But with God, his standards never change. His kingdom will never come to an end. Now, before we move on, follow the structure of this chapter. Verses one through three are an expression of praise towards God from Nebuchadnezzar. 
in verses 34 through 37. He's also praising God. In the middle of this chapter, from verse 4 through verse 34, is Nebuchadnezzar's testimony. This is where we find out how it came to be that Nebuchadnezzar finally turned his heart toward God. Now, the big question in this text is, did Nebuchadnezzar get saved? No one can know for sure this side of glory. My best guess is that he might have. He just might have. But at the very least, we have to understand he came to recognize the sovereignty of God and the power of God. In verse 4, Nebuchadnezzar begins to recount the story of his encounter with the God of the Jews. And let's take a step back for a second and remember that in the Old Testament, God still had a plan for the Gentiles. His intention for the nation of Israel was to be a light to the world, to lead the other nations to faith in the God of Israel. There was Gentile converts, and if Nebuchadnezzar did come to faith, this is what might have been taking place in this passage. From the information we have, it's just hard to know, because the Babylonians did have no problem worshiping other gods, and there's nothing in this text telling us he rejected the other gods. There's nothing in this text that directly tells us he trusted in God. He worships God in this text, but plenty of lost people attempt to worship God, even though they don't really know him. Only God knows the heart. It's possible he did come to faith, but the answer is just not for us to know. Notice what he says in verse 4. He was resting at home, flourishing in his palace. The wording It gives the idea of a green growing tree that's doing well. It's a strong tree. It's undisturbed, meaning here, in his opinion, he was doing just fine. He had it all, and from the eyes of the world, no one seemed as successful as Nebuchadnezzar. He had power, and he had great wealth. At this point in history, the nation of Babylon was at peace. Nebuchadnezzar had many large building programs taking place. He was using funds that came from conquering other nations. Life was good in Babylon. Verse 5 tells us he had another dream. This was his second dream. And notice also Nebuchadnezzar states that the dream made him afraid. But that was the main purpose of the dream, to make him afraid and to humble him. This must have been quite the dream because in our next study in verse 19, after Daniel heard the dream from Nebuchadnezzar, the Bible tells us that he himself was astonished, and that Daniel's thoughts troubled him. Verse 5 confirms the same thing for Nebuchadnezzar. The visions that he saw troubled him. And the wording is strong. The ideas of fear, terror, he was extremely upset by this. Verse 6 is surprising. Just like the previous dream, he called together all the wise men, his entire group of advisors. This time he doesn't ask for them to tell him the dream like chapter 2. He just wants the interpretation. I kind of wonder at this point that since Nebuchadnezzar and everyone else serving the king knew what happened before with Daniel and the other dream, it makes me wonder if Nebuchadnezzar knew that at the very least, if these clowns couldn't interpret the dream, he could trust Daniel. And I think they knew full well that they didn't want to lie to the king by giving him a fake interpretation. Because just like last time, they couldn't interpret the dream. Remember what we talked about back in chapter 2. These guys basically followed a set of books that they had. They would use a chart with the information contained in a dream and pull out an interpretation. They were good at giving out answers, even if they weren't correct. But I think they learned their lesson from chapter 2. No one dared to give the king an interpretation that was not true. 
Daniel arrives on the scene, but notice the first part of verse 8 starts out by saying, but at last Daniel came before me. The words at last indicate that some period of time went by before Daniel arrived. I'm not going to waste our time and speculate why Daniel wasn't there right away, but allow me just to say that I think Nebuchadnezzar did call him right away, but Daniel was delayed. Notice the text does not state, at last Nebuchadnezzar decided to call Daniel. It says, at last Daniel came before me. In other words, there seems to be some indication in the wording in this passage that the wise men had been discussing the dream for a while. Like they had been there a while before Daniel got there. Then in verse 8, Nebuchadnezzar states that Daniel's Babylonian name was Belshazzar. And he reminds us that Daniel was named after Nebuchadnezzar's God. Nebuchadnezzar, at this point, worshipped a god called Belmarodach. Keep in mind that at this point in the king's testimony, if the king did in fact become a believer in the God of the Jews, he hadn't placed his faith in the true God yet. So he's flat out telling us at this point, he still worshipped this false God. But it's also possible from the wording that in this letter that went out to the entire empire, that he may have been trying to give his God some credit for Daniel's ability to interpret the dream. It could go either way. So be careful about jumping to conclusions on this one. Then he says in verse 8 that in Daniel is the spirit of the holy God. Nebuchadnezzar's having this official proclamation recorded and sent out to the people in his kingdom. And he's reflecting back. He understands and recognizes that at the very least, Daniel's God was different from the other gods they worshipped. In both verse 8 and verse 9, the new King James records that Nebuchadnezzar told Daniel that he had the spirit of the holy God living in him. That makes it sound like Nebuchadnezzar was saved and really understood what was going on. But if you're using a different translation, you can probably see that most translations do not agree with this. Most translations say in verses 8 and 9, a spirit of the holy gods, meaning that Nebuchadnezzar just meant one of the spirits from one of the many gods. The problem is that once again, the text can go either way. The text really doesn't tell us. And the answer lies with Nebuchadnezzar with how much he truly understood and whether or not he got saved. Since he's dead, it makes it a little more difficult to ask him. But when we get to heaven, if you see him there, it's a good clue. He really did get saved. Verse 9 tells us that the king once again wanted Daniel to interpret the dream. It is worth noting that Daniel was still the chief of the magicians, which is the same position that he had been promoted to back in chapter 2. All those years later, Daniel still faithfully serving before the king. Nebuchadnezzar knew that because of Daniel's relationship with God, he knew Daniel was the one to turn to. Remember, word of Daniel's wisdom was pretty well known back in that day. Ezekiel told the ruler of Tyre in Ezekiel 28.3, Behold, you are wiser than Daniel. There's no secret that can be hidden from you. Just remember, Ezekiel was a prophet who served the Lord while the people of Judah were captive in Babylon. Ezekiel knew of the wisdom given to Daniel by the Lord. So starting in verse 10, Nebuchadnezzar lays out the visions he had, where the text says, I was looking. The original text states, looking, I was looking. Because he knew, he knew based on his experiences in chapter 2, and he knew based on his experience with the way that they interpreted dreams in that day, that the details were important. A correct interpretation of a dream was based on an accurate description of a dream. Nebuchadnezzar was conveying to Daniel, I looked, I paid attention. So the central part of the vision was this tree. 
This was a fitting symbol for Nebuchadnezzar because at this point in history, if we have our understanding of the timing right, Nebuchadnezzar was launching a gigantic building project where he was having many large buildings built in Babylon. And history books tell us that prior to this dream, the king had actually watched some of the forests being cut down for these projects. We know he was watching large cedar trees being cut down, so it's very fitting that God used this tree in a dream. The text tells us that the tree was in the midst of the earth. Then verse 11 says, The tree grew and became strong. Its height reached to the heavens, and it could be seen to the ends of all the earth. As he saw the tree growing, not only did it get bigger, but the tree got stronger as well. In that day, great rulers were often symbolized as trees. This is seen in Ezekiel, Amos, and Isaiah. Nebuchadnezzar may have guessed this, and what happened to the tree in his dream could explain some of his fear. We're going to hold off on the interpretation until our next study, but the tree clearly signified his rule over mankind. Verse 12 says that the foliage was lovely. In it, there was food for all. The animals sought refuge in the tree. This is all a reference to the people of his kingdom being taken care of. The people in that day had protection in his empire. They had food and shelter. In verse 13, the scene changes dramatically. Nebuchadnezzar then saw an angel. He refers to the angel as a watcher and holy one. The reason Nebuchadnezzar referred to the angel as a watcher was because that was his point of reference. Kings in that day used watchmen to carry out the decrees of the kings. Now God does use his angels to carry out his judgment on man. And the angel cried out and started giving orders. The assumption here is that other angels were carrying out the commands given in this dream. The angel has the tree chopped down, the branches and fruit of the tree stripped from it, and apparently the angel wasn't a tree hugger, and all the animals were to flee. This all pictures God's coming timing of judgment on the king and his kingdom. This is probably the part of the dream that frightened Nebuchadnezzar because he probably knew that the tree represented him. The influence of the tree had been taken away by the angels. No longer was the tree able to feed the creatures of its domain. So the idea here in verse 14 with the birds and the beasts fleeing from this tree is just simply that the animals would no longer benefit from the protection and the provision of the tree. Clearly, this was a reference to the people of his kingdom that would no longer enjoy what they had under his leadership. Notice in verse 15, the stump of the tree would be left and a band would be put around it. This showed that God would protect the base of the tree. The word for stump in this passage actually carries the idea of something that is alive, not dead. The idea is of something that grows out of the root, meaning that the base of Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom would be protected and would later sprout again. God was assuring that the king's rule would be protected. In other words, the tree wasn't uprooted out of the ground. It was just cut down. The roots still remained. In verses 15 and 16, talk about the king eating grass like a wild animal and having the mind of a beast. There's a condition that we're going to talk more about next week where the person thinks that he's an animal and he lives like one, eating the leaves and grass, growing long fingernails like claws, growing their hair out to be shaggy, and they act like an animal. This is what was to happen to the king. Verse 16 tells us it would last for a period of seven times. This seems to refer to a period of seven years. So for seven years, the king would live like an animal, think like an animal, eat from the field like an animal. The reason that all this would happen is found in verse 17. The text states, in order that the living may know 
that the Most High rules in the kingdom of men, gives it to whomever he will, and sets it over the lowest of men. This verse is another good summary statement for the entire book of Daniel. The angel that is speaking here in verse 17, he was speaking on behalf of a group of angels that was sent with his decree in this vision. Don't get the idea here that the angels were making the decisions. The angels were carrying out the will of God. Now there's something here, smack dab in the middle of verse 17, that gets me all excited. Notice again the phrase, that the living may know. Listen, this conveys to us that not only was this a lesson for Nebuchadnezzar that he needed to learn, but it was a lesson for all of mankind to learn. The lesson is that God alone rules over the kingdom of men. Nebuchadnezzar was a man that was put in charge by God over the people of this world, and yet throughout his reign, he was responsible for having slaughtered thousands of people, including the Jews. Nebuchadnezzar was proud and arrogant, and honestly, so are we. We all like to meet with God on our terms, but it is God alone who is in control of all the affairs of mankind. And when we fail to recognize that God is sovereign, then we are really saying with our actions that we are sovereign. We try to be and like to be in control instead of recognizing it is God alone who charts the course. For our lives. Nebuchadnezzar desperately needed to learn that God is the one who puts men in control of the nations. The phrase, lowest of men at the end of verse 17, it's not that we are talking about people that are incapable. The idea is that God uses the humble. This is consistent with the New Testament teaching that God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Nebuchadnezzar had his chances. He refused. He refused, just like so many people do today. He refused to humble himself. So now he was about to receive seven years of punishment. And one more time, the king asked Daniel in verse 18 to interpret the dream. In 1715, King Louis XIV of France, he died after a reign of 72 years. Now this man, he was extremely arrogant. He frequently called himself the Great. He was the king who famously said, I am the state. His royal court was impressive, and his funeral was just as spectacular. As his body lay in state in a golden coffin, orders were given that the cathedral should be very dimly lit, with only a special candle set above his coffin to dramatize his greatness. And at the memorial, thousands waited in hushed silence. Then the man overseeing the funeral service began to speak. Slowly, he reached down, he snuffed out the candle, and then he said, Only God is great. This is the very lesson that Nebuchadnezzar had to learn during his seven years of insanity. The Bible says that one day every knee will bow before the Lord Jesus Christ. It's the sinful pride of man that leads us to boast of our accomplishments, our education, our jobs, our homes, and our stuff. The focus is wrong. Don't repeat the mistakes of Nebuchadnezzar. Recognize the sovereignty of God in your life and recognize that if we are to boast, let us boast of the Lord Jesus Christ and the mighty work that he has done in our lives.
Return to the Word Ministries is committed to teaching the full counsel of God's Word and the gospel of Jesus Christ. For more about our ministry, please visit returntotheword.com. Return to the Word is a faith ministry. This means we freely distribute the teaching of the Word of God over the air and online. We do this without charge. If you feel led to support the ministry with a donation to help cover these costs, you may do so on our website, returntotheword.com, or by mailing a donation to Return to the Word, P.O. Box 879-259, Wasilla, Alaska, 99687. Thanks for listening, and we pray that the Word of God will be a lamp unto your feet and a light unto your path. Join us next time for another edition of Return to the Word.